Good evening and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow the podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. Tonight's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. On tonight's episode, we are going to be catching up on the NHL's return to play plan because it appears that they have finalized and ratified something with the CBA and the players um, and the Players Association. So I, I think we're pretty much good to go with a plan that is actually quite surprising and, and robust. I actually was very impressed given what we've seen from a lot of other professional sports leagues and whatnot. And we'll go through some of the key points and kind of go through what uh, might actually be a potential benefit or uh, a downside to whatever each of these options is. Because I, I think that everyone accepts to some degree, no matter what the NHL does, there is inherent risk and you're not going to be able to avoid COVID forever. Following that, I wanted to kind of do a, a double-sided coin here. We started off a, a brief little series over the weekend talking about hockey's greatest villains. But what are you know some of the more liked and respected players in the NHL? Who is the guy that people can't really hate? And there are you know a couple of those guys out there, or players that even if they are hated, are actually begrudgingly respected because they're considered stand-up guys and, and high character and uh, really intense work ethic. But before we get to that, we'll start off with the NHL's return to play plan, which is moving towards phase three and phase four. Phase three is the training camp stage, and this one is actually where I think you're going to see the most risk of infection, especially early on, because uh, a lot of the guys are coming back from wherever it is that they're living or staying, which means that they've had more public contact in recent times. The NHL is aware of this, and so what they're requesting is that, uh, for, first off, players can actually opt out of the season with the next couple of days if they want to. Um, there's like a 72-hour uh, deadline that I think is partially uh, part of the way through, at least. I don't know how far in or if it's actually even started yet, but either way, they have a, a brief three-day deadline, and then they can choose to opt out of the season, which I think a couple of guys are thinking about doing it from what we've uh, heard from rumors. They're also using social distancing off the ice, which I think is going to be a little bit harder for the NHL to regulate. They're frankly going to need guys to be more disciplined, and I think that the teams probably need to impose some kind of punishment if they find out players have in fact uh, been in nightclubs or hanging out with folks or, or in the public in a way that would endanger their teammates and staff. I know it does sound a little bit ridiculous and silly, but I mean, the St. Louis Blues just had a massive outbreak from a bunch of guys going to the same bar, and I think uh, somewhere in Missouri. So obviously these fears are not unfounded, and I know that we've seen with a lot of southern states and cities, which have often had more lax reopening schedules, you're finding out that they reopened way too early, and the number of positive cases is absolutely soaring. So you kind of want to make sure that your players and staff are staying well away from those crowds and trying to keep out of the public as much as humanly possible. Players are also asked to wear face coverings uh, out in public and within training facilities, as well as in one-on-ones with team members where apparently uh, you have to be in closer proximity. Otherwise, I think it's a little more relaxed as long as you're away from people. They don't tend to seem to worry too, too much. But I'm sure that the league will definitely be encouraging face masks as much as humanly possible because you really can't tell when you're going to run across somebody who might be asymptomatic and affected. In addition, during Phase 3, families will be permitted to travel with the, the players and teams. Um, 
I think they are going to be housed in separate residences or something, but uh, that that will definitely be a thing. Um, but I think the more important points that kind of come out of this, aside from uh, f- you know keeping families together and ensuring that guys have a, a good mental health situation and not splitting these groups apart, is to also make sure that the player health, uh, especially during the on ongoing training camps that are going to be happening soon, is up to speed. So prior to the start of training camps, I believe, uh, before you head on over to the, I guess, training facilities, you're going to have a 48-hour period where you'll be tested, and then those results are going to come back. And uh, they have a couple of different procedures. So once you've been tested and and you're negative, then you're allowed to go. Um, Although I think they do a couple of different rounds of this test. And once you're there, uh, every other day you'll be tested, and then you'll also be given uh, daily temperature checks and symptom checks, and those occur about two hours before um, each of the practice sessions. And I think the idea is that, you know, ultimately they can't really limit every single infection case, but they can try and spot as many of the early signs as possible. Anyone who does test positive has to test negative twice following that, and those tests are, again, I think done daily. And then if you have been infected, uh, you have to have a minimum of 10 days in self-isolation, and then you have to be clear of symptoms as well as, I think, a couple of negative tests for more than three days. Generally speaking, I think that this plan looks pretty okay. I I think given what you have to do in hockey, there are some things that you can't really avoid. And the first one is it's going to be full contact no matter what. So I I think that that is fine, and I don't mind that. I also like that they are going to be doing daily testing, though I I do think that there probably has to be a discussion, uh, especially down the road, with how a lot of pro sports teams are able to get all of these testing kits when we're dealing with um, protectional gear shortages, especially in U.S. and North American hospitals and in other hospitals around the world. It is, like at least morally speaking, a little bit questionable to me that uh, all these sports teams, which I, I get it, and I think the NHL is doing nothing wrong here in the sense that they're doing what they can to protect their players and staff, so that's fine. I just mean, I think broadly speaking, I, I am a little bit troubled that pro sports has had easier access to medical equipment for testing and stuff versus actual uh, field medics and and nursing staffs and doctors and other surgeons who are really facing a shortage of equipment right now. So it's just kind of, I don't know, it's a little bit odd to me. But that aside, I think that the Phase 3 plan looks pretty good. It makes a lot of sense. Yes, there is going to be risk for infection, and you're not going to be able to avoid that because hockey players are going to be traveling. They will be coming into contact with the public. I don't know how often that's going to be, but it'll probably be frequent enough where I think the NHL will have a couple of positive cases at least. But if they're hell-bent on doing this whole plan, then I think that this is probably the safest way for them to at least start things. And they still have, I believe, an exit clause of things really go to pot and they really can't avoid shutting it down. Hopefully it doesn't get to that point because I think there are a lot of other situations and consequences that would emerge out of that beyond just no hockey. But uh, I think for what what we expect from the NHL and compared to other pro sports leagues, the NHL is doing a pretty good job. Just as the NHL is trying to game plan and strategize for the COVID infection crisis, so too are you probably game planning how to maintain your vehicle, especially during quarantine. Most of us are unable to go out as frequently as we like to, especially to auto parts stores and repair shops, and even when we do, they might not even have what we need in stock because there's a high demand for just about everything right now. If you're looking for a safer and more convenient option, then check out rockauto.com. RockAuto.com is a family-run business with over 20 years of automotive industry experience. Their intuitive, easy-to-use website allows you to filter for everything, including car type, 
year, make, model, and price range for the parts so you can always keep track of what you want to spend for each part. They have everything from engine control modules to floor mats for when you spill barbecue sauce in that hard-to-reach spot down on the floor. No matter what car part you're looking for, rockauto.com charges everyone the same price, whether you're an amateur DIYer or an experienced automotive mechanic. Head on over to rockauto.com, and if you make a purchase, be sure to use the How Did We Do box and fill in Locked On so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, visit rockauto.com. Phase 4 of the COVID plan for the NHL is a little bit more complicated in some respects because you are now entering a more public-facing area. Phase 3 is mostly occurring on team training grounds and club-owned facilities, so the ability of clubs to control what goes on and off the ice and around it is, is certainly a lot more tightly monitored. But here... Um, what we're dealing with is what the NHL is going to call two safe zones. And these hub cities are going to be uh, basically stationed in Toronto and Edmonton. The NHL has drawn up some kind of a map of some sort for each city where players are going to be allowed to have uh, housing, some sort of food options, and uh, training facilities, the arenas themselves, and other areas that they have indicated as part of this so-called secure zone. They are heavily limiting who is allowed to uh, enter and leave this zone. Like players, for instance, are not allowed to leave except under very specific conditions, most of it medical-related. Anyone who leaves the premises of the safe zone unauthorized is likely to face a 14-day quarantine or an outright ban from Phase 4. So, obviously, it behooves players to behave and keep to themselves for the most part. Staff that are going to be around are also going to be going through the same sorts of tests and uh, restrictions that the players and staff are in that they are all to be wearing masks and uh, essentially go through the same sorts of testing and, and daily screening that all of the players and staff have to go through as well. The NHL is also trying to limit just how many people are in each zone, and what they're going to do is each team is allowed 52 people, including players and goalies, and uh, that caps it out at 624 team members in each city. They're also asking players and staff not to congregate in groups of more than 10 to avoid any sort of communal transmission, and, of course, anyone who does actually test positive for the virus is going to have to go through the same Phase 3 isolation and quarantine procedures that they did previously. Families are going to be mostly restricted until the Conference Finals and Stanley Cup Finals, which I think are going to occur somewhere around September to October. It's hard to say at this point. But uh, as far as the players and staff are concerned, they have to go through a 7-day uh, self-isolation quarantine procedure and testing procedure before they're actually allowed to enter the safe zone. Um, Seven days probably could have been extended a little bit, but I assume that because the training camps and the start to the season are going to be a little bit closer, they might be anticipating that the number of positive tests and changes should be relatively low. That, that said, I do think that if they're going to do this whole process, they should probably do screening in between, because I don't know how long it is between the end of like training camps and the beginning of the postseason picture. I thought it said it was going to be about six weeks in between, but I'm not 100% sure. If the, if it is six weeks, so then they definitely need to do routine testing in between then, just because uh, obviously things can change very quickly and players might come down with it. And the reason that I think that you have to do more routine testing is not just because uh, you want to make sure that you know who is falling ill well in advance, but the recovery period of COVID really varies by each patient. You know, some folks aren't really going to recover for like a year or more, or they might be permanently um, debilitated by some aspect of this virus that has wrecked their internal systems. So I think for the players and staff 
they really need to be protected by the league, and I think the league needs to invest in more testing kits or whatever if they haven't already, just because I think you're going to find if anyone does get sick, which we're already seeing some players and staff falling sick, I, I think the effects and consequences are going to be pretty serious. As far as like the overall Phase 3 and Phase 4 plan are concerned, though, I, I tend to think that it's pretty okay. I'm looking at this whole situation, and I think, you know, if the NHL, again, is is serious about doing this, then for the most part they are doing a decent job of, I guess, mitigating as many risks as possible. It's It's definitely not perfect, and I think there are certainly gaps that you can criticize them for, but as far as a fairly comprehensive and cohesive approach to COVID isolation and trying to keep guys away from the public as much as humanly possible, this plan looks presentable. Again, I tend to think that a lot of the risk for infection is going to be coming during that training camp period because that's when the guys are going to have a little bit more leeway and freedom to move about, and they will have to, of course, go through several rounds of testing, but there may be some infections that come in before then that maybe they weren't aware of. The testing kits, though they are fairly accurate, still will have some false reports once in a while or uh, false positives or negatives as well. So we have to be careful about that and something that's obviously a risk that kind of comes with the territory. And that's why they're probably using a battery of tests to try and ensure that they hit as many uh, darts around the target as much as possible. I do still have a, a minor concern that at some point, though, they're going to have to call off the playoff picture just because I really don't know if this is going to go off without a hitch. Inevitably, I think everything has drawbacks, um, and there are certain things that you cannot forecast or expect um, and anticipate. And I think right now we're already seeing in Edmonton there was like a hospital that had a really bad COVID outbreak where a number of patients died. That's obviously a fairly isolated and an extreme example as far as I'm concerned, but I think it gives you an idea that things can change very quickly, and Edmonton was just selected as one of the hub cities because it was considered one of the you know safer areas and territories. The NHL is going to have to be flexible about this, especially going forward, and I think that uh, privately they're probably worried that they are going to have to cancel the season at some point. Let's hope it doesn't get to that and that everyone stays healthy, but I think we know that life occasionally has a way of throwing us a few monkey wrenches. Before I kick off our so-called quote-end-quote heroes of hockey, I forgot to mention a couple of uh, key points about a new hiring by the New Jersey Devils. And this is actually kind of sort of Jets-related because a former rival head coach has joined the Devils organization, and that is newly appointed head coach Lindy Ruff. The first takeaway is that as far as coaching impact is concerned, I just sort of shrug. He had a couple of good seasons with the Dallas Stars, but since then I don't really know if he's actually been uh, particularly useful in any of the organizations that he's been serving in. This isn't to say that he can't be effective for the New Jersey Devils, and I think over Elaine Nezredin, I think he'd probably be an upgrade, but beyond that, you know, I don't really know if he's going to be uh, significantly better than some of the other options out there. I mean, Gerard Gallant still doesn't have a job. I mean, sure, the Vegas Golden Knights were still good when he was fired, but I mean, you know, Gallant might be a legitimately good option for a young and uh, kind of, I guess, mishmashed Devils roster because you look at their lineups and pairings and there's just not a whole lot there to work with, but Gallant might be able to get a little bit more juice out of it than most of the other head coaches. It also just reminds you that, generally speaking, the NHL doesn't really hire too many new coaches from external sources, which, to a point, I do understand. I think that what a lot of people don't realize is you you tend to like guys within um, the league that have experience coaching at this level and working with these players in a level of familiarity. 
What I kind of feel like that tends to breed, though, is complacency and acceptance of a certain standard, and that standard is just mediocre. The problem with this whole old boys club is that you'd never really uh, elect to bring in new and fresh blood, which means you're getting the same guys who didn't work somewhere else over and over again, and these guys keep getting chances time and time again, which is kind of funny because a lot of them, if you if you continue to put together a resume that's not all that impressive, you wouldn't get hired in other professions. I'm not saying that the NHL should go look to these really obscure, uh, smaller European leagues or something and just bring over whoever sounds really smart and intelligent, but be willing to explore whether or not they might be a, a useful tactical advisor and go from there and see if maybe, just maybe, they have what it takes to be a higher level of NHL coach because obviously the uh, the European games can be very messy and they're not necessarily on par with the NHL, but they might be able to, uh, if you bring those coaches over, some of those guys might be able to acclimate to the North American game a bit quickly and eventually show enough experience and natural coaching aptitude to take an elevated position. Beyond that, I just don't really understand why the Devils ended up going with Ruff over somebody like Gallant, but that's a story for another time, I suppose. To kick off our hockey celebrated heroes list, we're going to start with just one tonight since we only have a few minutes left, but I thought you would probably enjoy this one because it is somebody that I think across the board no one in the world seems to hate except for Mike Hoffman's girlfriend, and this is Eric Carlson. Eric Carlson is one of the most universally beloved players that I've ever seen in the NHL, and I think that for a lot of fans, Carlson is very exciting. He is a dynamic, uh, creative, and really skilled skater who can do all of these crazy things while twirling a mustache that looks like somebody's uh, caricatured evil villain mustache or like a Western saloon mustache. He's like the only person who can pull that off legitimately and not get made fun of. And I feel like it's just because it's Eric Carlson. This guy always seems to light up the room wherever he goes. His teammates all seem to adore him. And I think that generally speaking, he's seen as a true leader. Unlike some NHLers, he has a very approachable, affable nature that immediately people seem to gravitate towards him. You know, some NHLers tend to be a little bit more reserved and, and a little bit placid when you take them out of their comfort zones and maybe start asking them a few lines of questioning that are a bit more involved and serious. And, and obviously, I think that Carlson is kind of a unique personality type, especially for the sort of culture that hockey tends to, to breed into players. But all that said, I think that he is a really singular person and a really singular talent. He kind of, in a lot of ways, was, I think, the prototype for one of the more modern defensemen. Uh, I think oftentimes, when you think about what Eric Carlson does, he plays defense through offense. And that, that stylistic change is something that down the road is probably going to lead to um, maybe labelist skaters. I, I think that, tactically speaking, you will still game plan for guys who are more defensive in nature. But Carlson kind of embodies this concept of defense through constant forward progression. If the opponent can't get the puck off of you while you're attacking, you're probably doing good things. That has made him a fan favorite in Ottawa and certainly with the San Jose Sharks, though his shark stint probably hasn't gone as well as he anticipated just because he is getting up there in age and he does have a lengthy injury history. Even still, he always brings a really big smile, a really funny and, and sharp fashion sense, and people generally just seem to be drawn to his presence and magnetism. Defenders usually aren't as highly regarded and warmly regarded as somebody like Carlson, but when he retires, I think that the league will lose someone who is truly special and who just embodies so much more than just the ordinary hockey player. He has this kind of natural celeb kind of personality and, and uh, 
charismatic character, I think is how I would describe him. And, and you know, when he retires and leaves this league, it's going to be so hard to say goodbye because Eric Carlson, for so many years, has been such a fun, exciting player and somebody that the NHL is truly going to miss when he steps away from the game. Something tells me, though, that he's not going to be stepping away from the game completely. He's just going to be taking on a new capacity in, like, a coaching role or something. Given the fact that that dude will play seemingly on one ankle, I, I tend to think that he is the kind of person who is, while very very buoyant and happy and joyous, he is also somebody who lives and breathes hockey and would certainly be interested in remaining involved however he can in the future. Our next episodes will be featuring more of these celebrated hockey players, especially in the contemporary era, because beyond that I, I tend not to know some of the older guys, but hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode. Be sure to let me know any players that you want to see explored, especially guys that you find uh, particularly interesting or, or fun players. Before you log off for the evening, be sure to check out the Locked On National NHL podcast hosted by Sarah Avampato. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great night and go Jets go.